0: podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, AntiochCOS.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Thanks so much. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. That's context. It's really good context. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, uh, that's a good thing, right? Yes. Okay. Now, listen. I'm going to preach this message, but I really do think that it's going to hit every single one of you guys in different places that you're at. So, for those of you who lead families, there are there are principles in Acts chapter six that are very important to where you're at as a father or a mother of a family. For those of you who are business leaders, business owners, for those of you who own properties, for those of you who are nonprofit work or you have any kind of influence or leadership, there are going to be some very, very important principles that are going to be laid out in these verses. So, hear the scriptures today through the lens of where God has planted you or where God has placed you. Uh, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, uh, any of us who have any kind of responsibility over people or things want them to grow, right? Uh, growth is good. Thank you. Yes, growth is good. I'm kind of beginning to wonder if I need to preach a different kind of message (laughs) because you guys are like, "Mm, growth is not good. (laughs) No, (laughs) growth is good. If you didn't know, growth is good. Okay. So this is a good thing. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. Now, let me just push pause here for those of you who are not familiar with the book of Acts or what's happening right here. Uh, Just seven chapters prior, Jesus has been crucified and resurrected from the dead. Okay, Acts begins with our story. This is the story of the early church, but it's also our story. It's the story of the church. It's really interesting if you look at the end of Acts, the very last chapter really has no official ending. It has no official closing. And the reason why is because it's the story of the church and the story of the church still continues today. We are the continuation of the book of Acts, all right? So Jesus has been crucified. He's been resurrected. He has spent three and a half years approximately pouring his life out in an intense mentoring program or an intense internship, training 12 men and also an untold number of ladies. He's been training them to carry out the reality of the kingdom of God and the kingdom message to the world. He's been training them, signs, wonders, miracles. Guys, this is how you lay hands on the sick and see them recover, right? Remember in Matthew chapter 10, he pulls these disciples together, breaks them up into partners two by two, sends them out. I mean, they don't, they've not had a lot of training up until this point. They don't have seminary degrees <laughs> up at this point. And he says, guys, listen, you have what it takes Spirit of God is with you. I have trained you and you need to know that I've given you power and authority. Now go and proclaim the kingdom of God is here. If there are sick people, lay hands on them. And they're like, we've never done this before. I know, I know, it's a new day. It's a new era. Everything that Jesus did, he was teaching them. He was revealing the mysteries of the the lessons that he was teaching. There was a story, man, where there was this gal, she was dead, and he brings three of his kind of highest students, right? He brings three of these guys into the room, he pulls everybody else out of the room, and then he raises her from the dead. Here's the amazing thing, that in the book of Acts, there's another person that's dead, and Peter, one of those guys that's in the room, guess what? He does the exact same thing that Jesus does. Where did he get that? Well, he got it from being with Jesus. Do you remember in Acts chapter 4, the disciples Peter and John, they have, just, they have just healed a guy who was an invalid for 38 years. And they get thrown in prison. And then the religious leaders come to Peter and John and they tell them this. They say, guys, you gotta cut this out. You gotta stop preaching in the name of Jesus. You're making us look bad. <laughs> right? And here's what Peter and John said. They said, listen, far be it from us to obey you and not God. We've got to obey what God has told us to do. And then there's this amazing verse in Acts chapter 4 where it says they looked upon the disciples and they realized that these were ordinary men. They were unschooled, untrained, ordinary people. Now, I'm not saying that we should not be schooled or trained because Jesus trained them. Like I mean, if we wanted to, if we wanted to stretch this, they really were in their own seminary PhD program. Right With Jesus, day in and day out, for for years. No, those guys were trained. But according to the standards of the Pharisees, they were like, these guys are untrained ordinary men. And yet, the demonstration of the kingdom is happening in their lives. This is an amazing time. Jesus is crucified, he's resurrected, and before he goes, he tells them this. John chapter 14, 15, and 16, he says, guys, I've gotta go, and it's actually a good thing that I go, because if I don't go, then you don't have that same operating source that I've been having this whole time. I'm giving you the secret. I'm giving you the secret sauce. The secret sauce is the spirit of God. The very spirit of God lives and dwells inside of me in its fullness, and now it belongs to you. Go, Acts chapter one, verse eight. You will receive power to be witnesses. Go, go. Into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost bounds of the earth, and go and tell who I am and what I've done, and that I'm coming back, and what I'm about. Go and do it. You, you've, you've got what it takes, all right? So they're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting. Acts chapter two: the Holy Spirit comes down on the church, baptizes the church, full of power. They're speaking in other tongues. Power signs are starting to happen, and then God begins to add to the church. Acts chapter 2, it ends this way and it says there are 3,000 people that are added to the church in one day. Could you imagine showing up to Antioch Church? No, I, I need you to imagine this, right? Show, you show up to Antioch Church and if you don't like somebody sitting next to you now, I mean, if there are 3,000 people that are added to this church in one day, think about your business. Think about your clients, right? Right? Yeah, some of you are like, oh yeah, I could use 3,000 clients in one day. Yeah, that's yeah, a good thing. Revival is fun. Revival is fun. Man, growth, there's an element of growth that's exciting, right? You're dreaming, you're visioneering, you're, you're, you're tackling new territory. There's, there's places that are happening that you've never been before, and there's this unique feeling that you have. It's kind of like jumping off the high dive, right? Or you're at the crest of a roller coaster, or you're about to graduate, right, where you're like really, really excited, but you're freaked out all at the same time. How's this, you guys know what I'm talking about? You've been there before, right? Oh my gosh, like I'm holding my breath because here goes the cold water. Like I'm about to take a plunge right now and I'm exhilarated, but I'm a, I'm a, little, I'm, I'm a little fearful all at the same time. This is where the church was at. The church was experiencing the same thing. Peter had no idea that when he got up to just tell people, guys, we're not drunk. We're filled with the Holy Ghost. This is what Joel said in chapter two. And then boom, 3,000 people get saved. Wait a minute. I was not prepared for this. <laughs> Think about this though. This is, like, this is like another message. But do you guys remember any of Peter's story? For those of you guys who are familiar with Peter, Peter was Jesus's, one of close, Jesus' closest disciples. And Peter was human, just like we all are. He had his own flaws. And there's this incredible scene right before Jesus goes to to trial. And Peter's scared because there are powerful people who who are gonna kill his best friend and his teacher. And so they press him and they say, hey, you're one of his students, right? And he goes, nope, nope, never knew the guy. Three times, Peter denies him. I mean, imagine the guilt, imagine just the the feeling of embarrassment, disappointment and shame, and so much so that when Jesus is crucified in those three days while he's in the ground, before he resurrects from the dead, what does Peter do? He just goes back to the only thing that he knows how to do. He just goes back to his boat, to his tackle and to his bait, and he becomes a fisherman again. Wait a minute, you've spent the last four years of your life going under an intense internship with the master rabbi, learning the ways of the kingdom. You're the one who the church was supposed to be built on. He prophesied over you that on you, I'm gonna build my church and you're going back to fishing? Like Acts chapter two, where Peter stands up and preaches and the church explodes would not have happened if Peter would have just like stayed comfortable with safety. That's another message for another time. Some of you guys I think might be going back to your boats because it's safe. Because it's safe. Because it's what you know. And because the idea of standing up and preaching, I'm using that metaphorically, the idea of breaking into new territory, the idea of something growing, the idea of 2020 being a year of vision freaks you out. Just be honest. And you're like, no, I'm not gonna press. I'm I'm not gonna continue. I'm just gonna go back to these boats because I know this. I know this space. So the church explodes, you guys. Like, seriously, soak yourselves in Acts chapter one, verse five, uh, chapters one through five. They're amazing. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are being added to the church. Acts chapter six sets the context. Let's look at it again. Chapter six, verse one. In those days, the number of disciples was increasing. Okay, we're in a growth curve right now. But look what happens. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. What's, what's going on right here? So there are people that are coming to the faith that are now no longer just Jews, which was God's plan all along, right? I mean, for hundreds, if not thousands of years, going all the way back to Genesis 12, When God calls Abraham he says, Abraham, I'm gonna use you and we're gonna create a nation. And this nation is gonna be special. I'm gonna do amazing things in this nation. But guess what, Abraham? The point of us forming a nation and me showing my favor upon this nation is that this nation is gonna be instrumental in reaching all of the nations with my life and my goodness and my truth. And that never became a reality until we get to the book of Acts here. So now what happens is people who are not Jews are being saved And the first kind of iteration or the first level, the first round of this is people who are, they're kind of half breeds or half Jews, half Gentile. And they start getting saved. And what happens is, is that those that are, that are half Gentile, half Jew, who are widows, somehow they're being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. We're gonna talk more about that here in a second. So the way that we can frame this is growth creates problems. Right? Growth creates challenges. There's a proverb that says, Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. Do we get that, like conceptually? But then it says that by the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest. So it's this crazy thing. Like if you want harvest, you need to have the right supplies. But in order to have the right supplies, you have to take care of those supplies. Let me, let me frame this another way. Like, for those of you guys who are any kind of business, let's take construction, all Right? You want your construction business to grow, you need trucks, okay? You need trucks, and if you don't take care of your trucks, your trucks break down. I mean, that's simple, right? Okay, you need to take care of things in order for things to grow, but as things grow, there are new challenges that emerge. This is life. This is every area of our lives. We like to prophesy going to the next level. Guess what? Next level, new challenges, And here's why because God uses problems to grow us. That's what He uses. He uses problems, he uses things that are stuck. And then all of a sudden we've got to partner with God to get creative, to find solutions, to change our rhythms, to do new things, to procure new supplies and new resources, to build deeper and broader infrastructure. And in the process of all this, our leadership is increasing, our public communication skills are increasing. Everything is increasing because we have higher level challenges that we're facing. It's part of the way that God grows us. Verse two, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Powerful, powerful verse. Choose seven men who are among you. They have been faithful and their character is known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, who was a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Look what happens, look what happens. As a result of these challenges, and as a result of the way that they engaged these challenges, look what happens. Here's the fruit. The word of God spread. Anybody want the word of God to spread in this hour? I do. I want the word of God to spread in Colorado Springs, Pueblo, Fountain, Widefield Security, and beyond. I want that. Number two, a great number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, so the church is growing. Anybody want that? I do. And number three, a large number of priests, priests became obedient to the faith, like these sleeping giants who have already put in all the legwork to become qualified. Now something's being stirred in them and they're being awakened. That's amazing. All of that happened as a result of these guys faithfully engaging problems, the problems that come with growth. Okay, let's break this down very quickly. There are a number of different kinds of people that I see here in this passage. Number 1, we see people that are in need. Right? Yeah, right? We see people that are in need. Yeah, the widows were in need, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Let's not look at that and go, "Oh, those needy, high maintenance people." No, that's not what the scriptures are saying. Right. All right, the apostles never rebuked the widows for being widows. They never they were up they weren't upset with them because they had needs. Right. Okay, there will all as long as we are in this world, the poor we will always have with us. There will be people who are in need, physically, spiritually, emotionally, right? People will have need. Yeah. It's part of what ministry is. But there are of the of the four kinds of people that we see. The first that comes on the scene is just people to be served. Guys, there are people to be served in our city. There are people to be loved people to be nurtured, people to be discipled, people who need to be trained, who need to be awakened, who need to be equipped. And part of this, guys, is not even because they're not bad people. They're not bad people. They're people that are just in need. And every single one of us, if we're honest, we're in need. Right? And as we experience growth in any arena of our life, think of your business, think of your family, okay? New needs emerge. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a part of me that thinks back and I thought it was difficult when the babies were just spitting up everywhere. And I kind of look at that and go, that was easy. (laughs) That was easy. Those needs were easy. We used to carry Milan around everywhere in a car seat and like, she just fall asleep, right? Wake her up, feed her, burp her, change her diaper, put her back, it's done, okay? Now we've got basketball practice and we've got dance and we've got, you know, homework. And we, I mean, the needs grow. Guys, that's life. That's, right. that's life. The, how we view the needs that are before us determines how we respond to them. Some of us right now today, we've got to change our lens on the needs that are before us. The needs that are before you are the ministry that God is presenting to you. They're opportunities. They're opportunities. And look again, look at this right here. The disciples and the apostles, they were looking at this and they saw an opportunity and they were focused on God for solutions to very real problems of growth. And the way that we deal with growth position us and potentially catapult us into greater growth, okay? All right, number two, here's here's who we see. We see a band of people and I'm not even really sure who they are. Look right here. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. All right, so when you experience growth, not only will you experience more need, but you'll have people that complain. And every single one of us has a choice. Every single one of us has a choice when we experience the rub, right? We all have a choice. When things start to grow, when momentum starts to hit, even when we're in the down mundane, the mundane seasons of life, every one of us has a choice. Are we gonna be the people that complain or are we gonna be people that step up and help solve the problem? That's all there is to it. And guys, I'm telling you, it's not just at Antioch. It's in every situation of your life. I'm looking at my friend Kirby right now who oversees um, one of the best flower nurseries in Colorado Springs, right? And every year, it's like a cycle. There are new challenges. And those of you guys who are business owners and business leaders or any kind of leader, nonprofit, you name it, you know what it's like to deal with people. And there are essentially two types of people. There are people that point out problems and complain, and there are people that say, hey, put me in, Coach. I don't, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with this, but, but stretch me, challenge me, change me. Uh, I want to rise to the occasion of new, new, new problems. That I mean that's really it. That's really it. And then there are people that just sit there and don't make a difference at all. <laughs> okay. So there are people that are in need. And then there are people that talk about the need. That's all that they, they just talk about the need. Here's what I find that's interesting and I don't have time to go into the depths of the kind of the socio-historical nature of this, but I wanna just say principle right now. Essentially what the Hellenistic Jews are, are they're, kind of, they're kind of saying, you guys are racist, right? Yeah. You guys are just taking care of your own people and you're not taking care of our people and that's a racist move. They're doing that. And here's my thought on this. Number one, maybe it was true. Maybe it was true. And if we look throughout the the pages of scripture, we know that the Jewish people were very ethnocentric. So maybe it was very true. Problems of growth have the potential to reveal things that have been hidden that need to be addressed. Right? Okay. So like, be careful what you pray for. Be careful what you pray for. God, I want, I want my business to uh, take over the universe. Okay, fine, because there's stuff in you that's gonna to come to the surface when the weight of that growth hits the infrastructure of your life. Now, here's another angle. Maybe it wasn't true at all. Maybe it was totally fabricated. So when you experience growth, one of the potential problems is people will say things that are not true at all. How do you deal with that? Do you get angry? Do you get offended? Do you get bitter? Do you lash out? Do you get defensive? All of those things are real things and those are leadership issues. You wanna lead? Be prepared for a lot of criticism and a lot of unjust accusations. It just comes with the territory. You don't want it? Don't lead. Okay? All right, let's keep reading here. So the the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together. Here's another people group. So we have the widows, those are people that are in need. We have the Hellenistic Jews, those people that are uh, complaining about the need. And then we have leaders. Any leaders in the house? Who are my leaders that I'm talking to today? I just wanna see who my leaders are. Huh? Let me see. Come on. Let me see my leaders today. Okay, very good. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Now, leaders assume the burden of responsibility for challenges that come with growth. Let me say that one more time. Leaders assume the burden of responsibility from the problems that come with growth. Okay, so the apostles weren't able to just go, hey, not my problem. Okay? Leaders assume the burden of responsibility for the challenges and the problems that come with growth. You want things to grow, you're gonna have problems. This is gonna put a demand on your leadership. Leaders gotta step up and do something about it. It doesn't mean that every time that the leader, him or herself has to be in the yoke of actually taking care of it. Notice, notice, that's not what they did, right? They said, who are the people that are among us? Who are the people that God has called to us? Let's start with our management team. Let's start with our core people in our church. Let's start with our elders. Let's start with our uh, life group leaders. Let's start, with our, let's start with the oldest in our family. Guys, I put so much responsibility on my oldest because that's the biblical model. There's a reason why she was born first. That's just all there is to it. Right? And if I didn't have a Milan in my house, boy, it would be tough, Right? You pour into your leadership tears. That's what Jesus did. He recruited 12, and of those 12, he had three, and he poured his best into those three. Why? Because he knew of those three, those three he could leverage for way more than he could for the 12 that were there. Are you guys seeing this? And so these guys, they they just reproduce what they were taught. They're like, okay, let's start with who we have. I mean, it's really tempting to go, we gotta go hire somebody from outside it's really tempting to say the the solution is out there. No, the solution is in the field that God's planted you in. All right, so they start with where they're at. Call all the disciples together. Call the people who show up. Let me me translate that for you. Call the people who show up because this is a really fun study. This is really, really fun. Don't you know that in the gospels, I mean, we have all these different numbers. Why does God show these numbers? Because I think they matter. Like, why does, it, why does it matter that at one point there were probably 10,000 people that Jesus was breaking bread and giving food to? 10,000 people. I mean, think about that. Jesus, in two different occasions, one time he, had, he fed 5,000 men, scripture says not including women and children, which means let's just start with that number in that one region. We know that bare minimum, there were at least Ten to 15,000 people that Jesus was sharing the gospel with. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day when it's all said and done with, how many do we have left? John was at the cross. John. Then Jesus has to go back and re-recruit the people he already recruited. And then we have this number. There's 120 there's 120 in Acts chapter two that are faithfully in the place of prayer, waiting and obey, obeying God. There's 120. So we, 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 we grow from you know, 10,000 people that are hearing this, 12 disciples, now we've grown to 120. Okay, why am I using these numbers? Because showing up matters. Like some of us are sitting back and going, well, how come I didn't get chosen? Because you're never around. Like take the entitlement off of you, but I have been around for 12 years. Yeah, but now you're around once every six weeks and only when you serve. Guys, think about that. Okay, I need to pull out of our context. People are getting offended here. Okay, translate that, translate that, translate that to your own business, guys, all right? You're not gonna promote somebody to upper level management who shows up late and leaves early and takes two hours for lunch. You're just not gonna do it. You've got to be present. You've got to show up. You've got to be be visible. You guys hear what I'm saying? We all want more responsibility, more authority, more privileges, more benefits, more perks, more promotions. We want that, but then we don't want to show up. These guys were promoted because they were present, they were seen. Look at this. Choose seven from among you who are known. Who are known. You know what? Some of you guys, you guys have been senior pastors. You've been ministry leaders. You've been business leaders. You're new to Antioch. We love you. We bless you. But let, let me tell you something. You're still getting known. You're still getting known. How long does that take? I have no idea. It doesn't give us a timeline here. But you want to be known, show up. Show up. You'll be known your fruit, your character, your faithfulness, your humility, your wisdom, your leadership, your gifts, they will all be known in time, I promise you. We are watching. (laughs) Choose the seven men from among yourselves who are known. Okay, that's the leadership side, okay? Leadership side. Solve problems, assume the burden of responsibility. And then there's this, there's this hidden, obscure group of people. Who are these people? I've never heard of these names before. Look at them, look at them. This is amazing. Look at verse uh, five. The proposal pleased the whole group. Stephen, Philip. But look at Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. We've never even seen Stephen's name before. How do we know he was full of faith in the Holy Spirit? Dude, he showed up. He showed up. And when problems emerged, Stephen didn't go, ah, and he just started pulling out all the problems. He was like, God is well-labeled, right? Full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Stephen's ministry, do you guys know anything about Stephen? Do you know, in Acts chapter seven and Acts chapter eight, Stephen stands up and he lays out the entire history of the Jewish people and he proclaims the gospel to the religious scholars of the day. Read it, Acts chapter seven and eight, it's amazing. And then you know what? The scriptures say these people got so mad at him because he was getting prophetic on them. Seriously, he was one of the first New Testament prophets. And Stephen just begins to confront the powers that be. And he goes, listen, our shepherd and our Messiah is crucified because of you. And they were like, the Bible says this, they closed their ears and gnashed their teeth and picked up big stones and killed them. That's Stephen. You know where he got his ministry at? He got his ministry of opening doors, coming up early, cleaning you know, tissue boxes, picking up paper towels in the bathroom, setting up chairs, cleaning up. That was his ministry. And then in a moment, God catapults him, places him before a guy by the name of Saul, who is one of the most elite religious leaders of that day. right? You guys know the rest of the story? Yeah. Saul looks upon Stephen and watches this kid with the face of an angel, give his life for Jesus. And I have a personal theory. My personal theory is that for the rest of Paul's ministry, that moment marked him. Yeah. That moment marked him. Here's why I think that because in 1 Timothy chapter 1, which he wrote in prison at the end of his life, Paul says this. Paul says that Jesus displayed his unlimited patience and grace on me who was the worst of sinners. Why would you think that? Because I was the one who sat there and murdered a man who was innocent. I think that moment marked him. How many churches, how many converts, how many leaders, how many disciples came out of Paul's ministry? Where'd that start? Where'd that start? It started from Stephen. Where'd that start? It started waiting on tables. Where'd that start? It started in obscurity being present. Yes. That's good. That's good. We can go on, because there's a guy named Philip yeah. who's following Jesus in Acts chapter eight, right? And the Holy Spirit says, go over here. Yeah. Okay. Here I am. Oh, there's an Ethiopian eunuch. go closer. Okay. Right? Hey, what you reading? I'm reading this book, Isaiah, and they're speaking about some guy who's a lamb and somebody's getting killed. I have no idea. Ah, let me tell you who this is. Can I sit up in this royal chariot with you? Right? And for hours, Philip begins to break the scriptures down. And he's like, I should be baptized. Pfft, guess what? I can do that, <laughs> right? <Yes>. Boing. <laughs> and then boom, he disappears. He yeah. disappears. And we never hear of Philip again. He has another little you know, side job over here, ministering to some cities and he's gone. He's gone. What happened to Philip? Nobody knows. Where did Philip get this global ministry? Y'all want international ministries. You know where it starts? Like Philip had an international ministry, right? He's ministering to an Ethiopian. He was not Ethiopian. He had an international ministry, okay? Where did it start? It started by learning how to listen to the Holy Spirit. Where did that start? It started by learning how to set up tables faithfully. Where did that start? By living and serving in obscurity and being present. And not just being present like this. I'm here. You said be present my God, I'm here, aren't I? Ugh, like this, like this. I'm here. No, it means be present. It means be on time, church. It means come early. It means come prayed up. It means, God, who are you want me to speak to today? It means that even if they're off, I'm pray. I'm raising my hands. Come on. It means I'm not waiting for pastor to ask 28 times that we need help in the nursery to go, uh, nah, that wasn't me, right? Yeah. It's, come on, right? Yeah, yeah. And again, this is not just Antioch. This is life. Yeah. Be present, show up, learn, grow, engage, attack, attack. <laughs> <laughs> attack, attack life. <laughs> Let's all stand to our feet this morning. <laughs> Guys, what, which of these four are you gonna be? And let me just go back and say, if you are one of the ones, if you're, if you're one of the widows right now, that's okay. It's more than okay. That's right. It's just where you're at. You're in a place in a season where you need healing and you need to be ministered to. And I want you to know, and some of you have tasted this. If you come to Antioch, you're not just gonna be gobbled up because of what you can do. Yeah. I promise you. Okay, if, if we come and we discern, listen, your health, your identity, your freedom is way more important than you being a utilitarian commodity. I give you my word. So if it's, if it's not time and we need you to get healed, then let's take the time to get healed. Are you, are you one of the ones that just kind of point problems out and expect somebody else to take care of them and complain about it? Are you leaders right now, whether in this church or in a nonprofit or a business or a family, and you're saying, God, I'm experiencing growth challenges and I need wisdom, I need a strategy, okay? Call on that today, God will give it to you. Are you those that are serving in obscurity? Stay hidden until God shines his light on you. He will, he will, I promise you, he will. So God, today in the name of your son, Jesus, thank you for your word. And God, I pray right now for all those that are in need. Lord, as we come to the table and we take the bountiful blessing of God, the body and the cup, we break it and we give it to the world, we give it to one another. God, I pray you would meet needs today. Give us this day your daily bread. Lord, for those of us who are just in a space where all we've known in life is how to point problems out and criticize and complain, God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would convict us. Speak to us, change us. We don't wanna be those kind of people. Those are not the impactful people for your kingdom that we wanna be. God, address us, speak to us today. Lord, if we're leaders facing challenges right now, I ask that you would just pour wisdom out for new creative approaches that produce fruit. And God, I pray for all of those who have international ministry and in their blood and their bones that are hanging out in the hidden places of obscurity. God, I just pray that whatever work you are doing, do it. I say yes, those on the backside of a mountain, those are sitting on the side of a of a desert right now with Jesus, just learning and hearing and healing, and being faithful and showing up and being present and being being great attitudes. God, I pray just bless it, strengthen it, strengthen it, increase it, and at the right time in the appropriate time when you move them into a new space, God, I pray you would protect that and bless them today in Jesus' name. Church, let's come to the table and feast, shall we? Amen. Come on, come on. It's the time to celebrate. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church sermon of the week. For more information about us, visit antiochcos.com.